Hey girl, hey. You are now tuned in to the Journey to Motherhood podcast with your host, Jerry Alicia, where we will be talking about all things faith and fertility. So grab a journal and let's get to it. Hello, loves. You are now listening in to the Journey to Motherhood podcast, and I'm your host, Jared Alicia. Today, we will be talking about life after miscarriage, and I'm super excited about it. Not excited in the sense that miscarriage is fun or exciting, but I'm excited about it because there is hope after experiencing a miscarriage. But because I've never been through anything like that, I do have my friend, Takesha Morris, on, and she's going to help me spread a little hope today. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm all right. (laughs) I am doing well, thanks. Good, good, good. So, ladies, this is Takesha. Takesha, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, As Jerry said, I am Takesha. I am a wife and a mom. Um, We have a lot of kids. Uh, My husband and I are a blended family. We have three young adult children and our 16-year-old son lives with us here. We are also grandparents. And um, I'm also an author and a wife coach, and I love every bit of it. Good, good, good. So, ladies, we're going to get right into this episode on today. Takesha, because we're friends in real life, I know that you've had a hard time with your first miscarriage, I believe. So can you just tell us a little bit about that whole experience? Yeah, it was a hard time, and I didn't even have language to call it a miscarriage or loss before meeting you. So thank you for that. Um, And, you know, at the time, my husband and I, we weren't married. I got pregnant, and we were expecting a baby girl who was going to be born in April of 2000, actually. She was going to, um, she was supposed to be born in April of 2000. And it seemed like a regular pregnancy. I had been pregnant before I had um, my son, I believe who he was at the time, maybe about eight years old, my oldest son, AJ. And so it was a regular textbook pregnancy so far. And as time went on, it just seems like everything just started going downhill. And I actually delivered my daughter at exactly 20 weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. And so after you, you know, you're you're devastated after the miscarriage, what was life like at home? Life at home was very different. Um, It was very different because I am African-American, if you can't tell by my name, um, but I am a Black woman. And so these kind of conversations in my family and in my subset of the world just were not happening. Conversations about loss, about miscarriage, it just was not happening. And so I had had never talked to anybody who had experienced a loss before, so I didn't even know what to expect. It was devastating. It was devastating on so many levels because my daughter was born alive, right? She had a heartbeat. And I was devastated because I felt like surely there was something that could be done. I had recalled a friend of mine having a baby who was less than a pound and he survived. And so here I am with this little teeny baby who literally fit from my elbow to my wrist. Like she was so tiny. This little baby whose heart was beating for 45 minutes after she was born. And when I left the hospital, she did not leave with me. And so 
when we got home, you know, we, we tried to go back to normal life, but a part of me was not with me. A part of me that had been with me for the past 20 weeks was no longer with me. And while I was planning her life and planning how we were going to just celebrate having a baby girl, all of that seemed to be just ripped away from me. And so because I didn't have anybody to talk about this new reality with, I was extremely depressed. I was very depressed. I would have nightmares um, about it, nightmares about leaving her in the hospital. And it was, it was just a very, very hard time, but nobody, nobody prepares you for that. And it's it's just kind of an unwritten rule that you just need to keep moving forward. Right. And that's my whole thing with infertility, with miscarriage or infant loss. People just expect you to get over that. But it's not that easy to just move on. Takesha, can you tell me what married life was like during this whole process? Well, my husband and I, we weren't husband and wife at the time. We were actually just boyfriend and girlfriend. And so that was very different because we were young. How old was I? I was like in my very early 20s, maybe 24 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband was probably about 26, maybe if that, you know, so we were we were really young. We were trying to do grown up things as kids. If you think about it today, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? So it, it definitely impacted my husband a lot. But because he's not a very I won't say emotional man, but because, you know, he just he just moved on. Right. That's what he was taught to do. But what I could say is that it impacted my son in a way that I didn't even expect it. And I think Mm. that's a part of the conversation that people don't have is that if you have other children, even if they're nieces and nephews or godchildren, if they are, if you're expecting a baby, we're expecting a baby. Kids get attached. And I ended up, I went to my son's school and his teacher said, how's the baby? And Mm. I looked at her like, right? I could have just melted into the floor in that moment but because my son was anticipating his baby sister so much he went to school and told his friends and his teacher that she was born and that he had a baby sister named Jordan he just didn't finish the story and say that she didn't make it and in that moment I had to pause because I realized that I had excluded even his feelings because I didn't know how to deal with it so life after was very different not only was it different different But within, my daughter was born in December, December 28th of 1999. Again, she wasn't supposed to be born until April of the following year. The day after I delivered my daughter, my aunt had her baby, literally the day after. She had a daughter who's thriving and in college today. A few weeks later in January, my sister had her first son. And a few weeks after that, my other sister had her first son. And then a few months after that, my brother had his first daughter. So it was like after you had your miscarriage, it seemed like everybody else was getting pregnant and having their babies. Everybody. We were all pregnant at the same time, but their their pregnancies came to full term. And they had they didn't leave the hospital alone. They left with their babies. But here I was empty handed. That was hard. Right. So how did you deal with family gatherings after that? Did you go? I did because I had trained myself to believe that nobody cared. That's just life. Like even before this, I had trained myself to to think that nobody cared, nobody could understand. And so I just kept showing up. I kept showing up wherever I was needed. It didn't matter. Baby showers, birthday parties. I kept showing up. But 
I guess the good thing about it is, is because my sisters and I and my brother were so close that having their babies around was a huge blessing and getting mm. to see them, even though I know that it would probably make some people crumble, like, oh my gosh, my baby would be doing this. Seeing them, it just kind of gave me a bright spot. And I was like, oh my gosh, my baby would be doing this. So it was just kind of like living vicariously through them. And it was really authentic. It wasn't like tainted or demented. It just was really, it just felt really good to be around the babies. Well, that's good. Cause that's not a lot of people's stories. Um, I know a lot of people that I've talked to, they can't go to family gatherings or if they do, it's extremely hard and they're just like stuck. So how, how did you get unstuck? I should say. Oh, wow. I, I didn't know I was stuck. I didn't know. <laughs> I did not know that I was stuck. I had no clue that I was stuck. Stuck wasn't even a word in my vocabulary. I just moved on. I just moved forward. And because of when I delivered my daughter at 20 weeks, I had to have a birth certificate and a death certificate in the state of Connecticut because pregnancies are viable at 20 weeks. And so I had to name her. I had to, I had to go through a whole process. I had to have a funeral. So it was... It was life and death in the same moment. And I had to do all these things in that moment. And so I didn't think I was stuck. I just thought that I was moving on with my life. I still had a kid. I would often have people say to me, you know, well, you're lucky that you do have a son. You're lucky that you're young enough to um, have more kids. And because they didn't get it, I figured that maybe my emotions were misplaced, that maybe the way I was feeling um, was too dramatic. So I just moved on. Wow. Okay. And so you have your second child now. How did you get from the place where you're just like, okay, it is what, what it is to now? Um, so in between that time of my daughter, Jordan, and our son, Chris, we had experienced loss again. And so when I got pregnant with Chris, I just was like, I'm not telling anybody. I'm not talking about this. <laughs> whatever is going you know how the saying is it is what it is like that's what it was going to be with Chris and for some reason my cousin called me my cousin Latoya called me and she's like hey what you doing and I just blurt out I'm pregnant and she had just watched a documentary crazy right she had just watched the documentary and she was like oh my gosh I was watching this documentary and this lady, it seems like she has the same issue that you have. And she told me what they diagnosed this woman with. And she was like, don't go back to your old doctor, go see my doctor. And here's Chris, right? Here's Chris because she watched the documentary. I blurted it out, even though I wanted to not say anything, Chris is here and he's our miracle child. So from that time to having Chris, um, you know, life happens. He's 16. But it wasn't until I actually attended one of your events. I believe it was the ice cream and conversations. I think that might have been, might have been the name of it. You had invited me and there were so many women and I felt so out of place because there were some women who didn't have children at all. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I felt so bad. Again, putting myself in a box to say that my feelings weren't valid. Like you should be thankful. But sitting there, listening to the women, listening to you support them and encourage them and make an impact in their lives to know that there is life after this, it just was like a light bulb went off. There were things that you would say and I was like, what? Like, I was just so blown away because I had never heard a conversation about the topic of miscarriage, of preterm births, of infertility. I had never been involved in a conversation like that. So just having language 
helped me to begin to unpack what was really happening with me. And as I began to unpack it, I realized that I was still depressed. I realized that I had never really healed or dealt with losing my child, having to lay my child in a casket and bury her in the ground. I had never come to terms with that. And so it was, it was a lot, but it was exactly what I needed to say. My feelings are valid. I lost a huge part of my life. Although it, it, it is not the end of me, I do still have to move forward, but I don't have to leave her in the past. Right, right. Yeah. And I think that's important for just women in general to know that you, you do have a voice, whether you think you do or not. The fact of the matter is you're a person, you went through something traumatic, you can talk about that. Um, and I know as far as infertility and miscarriage goes, um, a lot of people don't talk about it because they feel shame or they feel guilty. Did you experience any of those feelings? Oh, absolutely. First of all, I felt shame and I felt guilt because I had had elective surgery in the form of an abortion, right? Mm -hmm. So here I was, I had an abortion and I felt like, how dare you? How dare you? be angry because you lost a baby. How dare you when you voluntarily did this before? And so there was a lot of guilt and there was a lot of shame around that because I was battling within my own self. I really wanted to grieve my daughter, but then I was like, well, I terminated a pregnancy. How do, how do I get to, to feel anything? I don't have a right to feel anything. And so I just had a lot of guilt at the time. I was not saved. I was not, you know, so that um, spiritual implication never came into play for me. Like I never thought, oh, God is going to be mad. Um, I never thought about that, but having an abortion and then losing my daughter at 20 weeks, I felt so guilty. I felt like I had caused this. I felt like mm -hmm. I had um, corrupted my body or did something to disfigure my body on the inside um, that would no longer carry a baby naturally. And so I, I had a lot of shame and I had a lot of guilt behind that a lot. And it was, it was devastating. Yeah, I can only imagine that being devastating because a lot of women, even people that haven't had, you know, abortions, they feel shame and they feel good because they feel like it's something that I did, which isn't always the case. Statistics show that miscarriage, sometimes they can tell why it happened, but sometimes it literally just happens. And so I, I thank you for even bringing that up because a lot of women, you know, feel that same way, but they don't know how to vocalize that because how do you tell somebody that you feel guilty for your child being miscarried like you that's just not something that you say so I'm so glad that you pointed that out so you felt guilty you felt shame how did you get over those feelings um it took a long time because like I said before I had these feelings but because I didn't know Christ I didn't know that he cared about my mind and how I thought I just thought that this was my life Right. So it wasn't anybody coming to rescue me from my own thoughts because I had brought this onto myself. So just like I said, I just move forward in life. But I, I really believe that coming into contact with you and I'm not just saying this because we are friends, but that's literally when I got language for things. That was when I was able to start unpacking some stuff, because even when I came to Christ, when I gave my life to Christ, that was not a part of me that I laid at the altar because there was so much guilt and so much shame that I thought like, I'm going to have to eat this. And if I lift my eyes in hell, this is going to be the reason why. And so when I, when we got in contact, when I came to your, it just, it just was like a light bulb. And it was like, so I don't have to live with this. 
Like, I don't, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to deal with this guilt. I don't have to deal with the shame. Like I could literally let my daughter rest in peace without feeling like I left her. I can, I can really be forgiven even of this, you know, and that, that was freeing for me. That was really freeing for me. But even after that, I still had a hard time talking about the situation because you still start thinking about what other women are dealing with. And you're like, I know that it was tragic for me, but let me just shut my mouth. So I just still stayed away from the conversation because it was still raw. It was still raw because I hadn't dealt with it in all those years. And now that I had, it was fresh again. And so it was just too sensitive to talk about. All right. And I remember that time you almost put me out of your house. (laughs) Because all I, y'all, seriously, though, all I did was ask a simple question. And it wasn't even my question to ask. The Lord told me to ask this question while I was sitting at her kitchen table. So I asked her if she ever considered adoption. And the look she gave me, I knew that in her mind, she was beating me up and putting me out of her house. I was. (laughs) Because, you know, it was still fresh, you know what I mean? And it's like, as a woman, and I don't, I don't want anybody to walk away from this conversation with this thought. And I pray now in the name of Jesus, that if it is your thought, that it's canceled by the blood and by the word of God. But I felt broken, right? I felt so broken on the inside. And not only did I feel broken on the inside, but when you asked me that question, I, I was not able to bear children in my natural body anymore because I had to have a surgery due to um, fibroids. So I could not have a baby in the natural sense anymore. And so hearing adoption, it was just like, I'm really broken. And that, that was like what I was coming to terms with, like feeling broken. Like I can't do this on my own. So I would have to settle for right? That's a horrible way to look at it, but I would have to settle for somebody else's baby. And that was just a lot, but I knew settle was my word, but I knew that was God's word. It was never a settlement. It was a restoration, but I couldn't, I couldn't just deal with that in that moment. All right. You you couldn't process that because the look on your face told me, Jerry, you better shut up before she puts you out for real. It was too much. And a lot of people feel like that, even though you use the word settled, that's a real feeling. Like, am I settling for somebody else's baby because I can't have my own? Like a lot of women deal with that feeling. That's why I tell people all the time, don't use or don't suggest um, adoption as a, a fix me because that's a whole different thing. That comes with a whole different set of questions, a whole different set of requirements and all of that. So even, you know, even if somebody's listening and they, you know, somebody has said, oh, you should just consider adoption. Don't say that. Please don't say that ever again, because adoption is just a whole different thing. And then if it's a woman that's trying to conceive her own baby and you carelessly uh, throw out the word adoption, it's like, well, dang, you know. Um, So, yeah, I definitely understand feeling like, man, will I have to settle for something that my heart desires? That's what it felt like. And, and even to the point where people put out words, I think that one of the hardest things um, as a woman and even as a, as a man who's desiring to have children, children of their own, um, when people say things like, oh, you're young enough, oh, you can adopt, you know, oh, you can do in vitro, I really just want them to think just for a second. 
just for one split second, how would you feel if somebody, if your biggest dream that you wanted and somebody came along and said, oh, just settle for, right? You've worked right. your whole life to be a doctor. And somebody says, oh, I mean, just become a CNA is cheaper, right? And it's like, it, they don't even go together, right? It's like, how, how could you compare one or tell me to settle for something else? So I think that it's super important for people when it comes to having children just to be extremely sensitive. I'm not saying that you have to walk on eggshells, but just watch your mouth. You know what I mean? Like, just just watch your mouth. Just please watch your mouth. Right. And I think um, a lot of it has to do with people don't really know how to communicate after someone they love has had that type of devastation. Did you deal with people saying crazy stuff to you after you miscarried? Yeah, you know, um, it's so funny. Um, because um, this is an international broadcast, I won't use any names. <laughs> but I did, I did have someone um, close to me tell me to get over it. I know that the, the intent behind what they were saying was not malicious, but those words, oh my gosh, they cut me to my core. I'm like, how do you get over having to find a dress small enough for a one pound baby to be buried? How do you get over that? You know what I mean? So, and, and I know that people aren't, some people are malicious. Let's just call a spade a spade, but and normally people in your life who love you and care about you, they aren't saying these things or asking these things to be malicious or to be insensitive, but because the conversations are not happening around childbearing, infertility, um, miscarriages, because nobody talks about it, we just kind of eat that thing and we don't share our experience with anybody. Nobody knows how to address the situation. I mean, like you think about it in a sense of women, I'll just use this because it's a, it's a national, probably international conversation about the Me Too movement. Right. So it was all these mm -hmm. people in the um, in the celebrity world who began to come out and talk about how they were um, sexually abused or, you know, whatever that looked like for them by someone in power. And when those conversations started happening, other people started talking and saying, me too. And so what that did was it opened up a national and international forum for people to share their stories, men and women. And I think that when we talk about infertility and we talk about infant loss, child loss, or whatever that looks like for someone, somebody else is going to step up and say, me too, right? I never had the courage to share this before, but me too. And that's what right. you did for me. You helped me to say me too. And it just wasn't something that happened to me. It was a real thing that impacted my life. And by sharing our stories with each other, it changes the game for another woman who may be experiencing it or who may think that she's going crazy because she can't control her emotions. You know what I mean? So I think having conversation is very important. Oh, you already know. I think conversations are what changes the dynamic. Yes. Um, and so I, I really thank you for even bringing that up because a lot of, we don't have conversations about this, especially in the African-American community. Most people yeah. didn't even realize that there was a word infertility because it's not talked about um if if some of us do experience it it's like what goes on in our house stays in our house i'm like no this can't stay in the house this needs to be out because we need to get these feelings out we need to talk about this let's be honest like it was not a word that was used for us and I don't say that like to be racist or anything but it wasn't it wasn't um a situation that we could afford 
right? It was not something that we could afford because if you were infertile, you were just infertile. There was no money for doctors and treatments. And that wasn't for the black people. That wasn't for the black woman. And now that more conversations are happening. And and to that point, I would love to say um, to your listeners um, to be vigilant for your health care. Ask questions. Do not just take somebody's word at face value. I don't care if they went to Harvard Medical School. I don't care where they studied. Your body is your body. And so when you are going into these doctor's offices and if you feel like you are being overlooked, if you feel like you are being silenced and not taken seriously, leave and find a new doctor. I don't care how long you've been with that doctor because the worst thing is to be dealing with a situation and nobody stops to say, can we pinpoint this area, I had multiple losses and I was with the same doctor, right? And they never said anything. When I got help was when my cousin watched a documentary. And Mm. when I went to the new doctor, I'm not joking. When I went to the new doctor, I didn't share anything about my cousin's documentary that she had watched. I just went in, I told them that I was pregnant. And as I sat with the doctor, um, her name was Dr. Ness. She was so attentive. And I said to her, I said, but I'm very scared because I've had a lot of loss before. And she began to ask me questions. She began to go down a series of things. She scheduled some testing and she says, you have an incompetent servant. And this is what we need to do to make sure this baby is full term. Right. So if your doctors are not paying attention to you, do not pay them. Right. Leave. Get a new doctor. Yes. Amen to that, sis. Um, So tell us, how did you go from being depressed to it is what it is to okay? How did you make it to the okay part? What year is this? 2020. I got to the okay part um, Christmas of 2018. Yep. We went back home to Connecticut and um, my daughter was born December 28th. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to be in Connecticut for her birthday. I really wanted to go to her gravesite and put down some flowers. And I had never put a a headstone because it felt too final. I I could never do Mm. that. And so we went to her um, gravesite because I wanted to put flowers down for her birthday. And so when we went over, I ended up finding a rock. And I always say that God speaks to me in hearts, like he will show me hearts anywhere in clouds and people and in the craziest of places, God will show me a heart. And I looked over near a tree that was near where my daughter Mm -hmm. is buried. And there was a rock, a huge rock shaped like a heart. And it wasn't like man-made. It was Mm, was jagged, it was rugged, but it was a heart. And I looked at my husband and I said, do you see that? And he was like, you know what, babe, I do. I do see it. So I, I took the rock, I put it on her gravesite, and I took the flowers that we got for her and I put them there. And I sat there and I just wept. I just wept the tears that I was not able to weep before. And it was raining. And I took my umbrella and I tried to cover her grave. And I was like, she's getting wet. That's all I can think of in my mind is that she was getting wet. And I heard the Lord so clearly say, never cover hmm. your seed from rain. And he said, you thought you put her there to bury her, but she's a seed and she will bloom. And in that moment, I was okay. And I don't even desire to put a headstone anymore, right? You know how people say, let the dead bury the dead. Mm -hmm. You ever heard that? I don't know if that's scripture, but you ever heard that before? Like, let the dead bury the dead. 
my daughter is no longer there. She is, she is yeah. laughing and running and living her best life in the light, in the arms of Jesus, right? She is loved. She is well taken care of better than I could ever take care of her. And the seed is that I'm still living today when I wanted to commit suicide, right? The seed is that I, I have a full relationship right. with Christ even after that, when I didn't think that my life would be able to go on, she was a seed. I didn't know it then because I didn't know the Lord, but he knew me. And so in that moment, I had right. an opportunity to talk with you. I had opportunity to repent. I had all this opportunity at, over the years. But in that moment, when God told me she was a seed, that's when I went from it is what it is to I'm okay to, oh, I'm healed and I'm good. That is so amazing. What would you say to anybody that's like, I don't know how to get to the I'm healed part. I don't, you know, I, I know Jesus. I love him, but I'm still struggling with the I'm healed part. How would you navigate that with somebody? Let God be God, because when you are trying to heal, whether you are healing from something physically like a surgery or injury or you're trying to heal from something spiritually, naturally as women we kind of feel like we have to do it all right we got to be the surgeon we got to be the pt we have to be the one who bandages it up and we ha we're the ones responsible for the healing but in this situation where you are trying to heal whether you've lost a baby or whether you're still waiting for that day to hold your baby let god be god healing comes from god the bible tells us that one plants one waters but god gives the increase the increase in this case is your healing. And the only mm -hmm. place that that's going to come from is God. And so how do you get to healing? Rest. When you are injured and they release you from home, from the hospital, what do they say? Rest. Go home and rest. Right? What does rest look like? Right. Bring in every thought and bring it into captivity. Every thought that tries to exalt itself over Christ. When your mind and the enemy comes in like a flood telling you that you are flawed, that you are broken, you need to repeat scripture over your mind. You need to get a list of scriptures that you have in your phone, that you have um, written down on a pad, that you have written on the back of your hand. I don't care what you need to do, but you need to saturate yourself in the word of God. Be very mindful of conversations that you are um, um, engaging in. Be very mindful of who's speaking into your life because somebody may be speaking death over their business. Like, oh, this will never work. This will never work. And you think it's just about their business. But th those words are planting in your mind. And that this will never work. This will never work. will start repeating itself in your head when you start thinking about your baby and your healing. And so you have to be very careful what you entertain. Right. Be very careful with what you watch, right? Be very careful with what you're allowing into yourself. Begin to make yourself um, conducive to healing, right? Nobody's going to take an open wound and go outside and roll around in the dirt. You're just not going to do it because you're going to get infected. Yeah. So think about your, your heart, your healing, your mind as an open wound. And you need to protect yourself at all costs. Do only things that bless you. Do only things that honor God. Do only things that's going to be conducive to your healing. And don't worry about the day that it's going to come. Bless God because it is coming. Even when you don't feel like it even when it doesn't look like it, even when your own mind is telling you that it's not going to happen. I want you to repeat Romans three and four, let God be true and every man a liar, including me.
Girl, it's so good that you even brought that up because sometimes I found that it's not even the conversations um, that we have with other people. A lot of times it's just the conversations that we have with ourselves. Did you ever find yourself having those type of conversations where you were just doing way too much? I had full on conversations by myself, but I never told those voices to shut up. And it's just like if you're a little overweight and, a, and the voices in your head say, you know, you're overweight and you're like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Right. Because it was true. Right. I mean, what was a fact? What I was feeling and what the conversations were swirling around in my head, they were fact. I lost my daughter. Um, I had an abortion. This keeps happening. Nobody understands. Right. These may have been facts, but the truth of the matter is, is that I had the power through Christ Jesus to cast down those thoughts and imaginations and say to those conversations that, yes, I lost my daughter, but I'm still here. And I didn't lose her because I'll see her in heaven. A loss is something that you never get back. I will have her back. And I know that everybody is not in that place and that place of healing and, you know, getting your thoughts together and getting your mind right is a process. Keyword process. It's going to take time and it's going to take you being intentional even when you don't want to be. It's going to require you to get up. Right. It's going to require you to tell your thoughts, not today. And if, it's going to require you to look in the word of God. And it's going to require you to be honest with yourself and God and say, you know what? I'm feeling like this and I kind of want to stay here. Like, I, I just want to be in this corner by myself today. I don't want to hear anything positive because, right, we go there. When, don't don't prophesy to me. Don't if you don't go somewhere with that like, to the left, right? You know what I'm saying? Like people going to happen. You like if you say it again, <laughs> and I'm gonna punch you in the face, right? That's like that's what we want to say to them, right? But it's okay to feel like that. It's not a bad thing. Be okay with that. But when your feelings start overtaking you and they are sending you to a place you really can't come out of, then you need to say, God, I need your help. You said that your Holy Spirit was my helper. I need you. You said that your strength was made perfect in my weakness. I'm real weak and I don't know where I'm about to go. So I need you to intervene because if I keep thinking, I'm going to have trouble and just being honest. That's good, though, because a lot of times nobody tells us what to do with those thoughts. Like they tell us it's OK to have them. But when I have them, what, what do I do with the thought that I wasn't worthy to be a mom? Like, what do I do with the thought that, you know, the, the miscarriage was my fault because of some past sin? So I'm so glad that you said that you have to talk back to your thoughts. You have to tell them what to do. Um, I can't remember who said this, but somebody says you have to give your thoughts a purpose. You have to tell them what to do. And so we can take that same concept here. Tell your thoughts what to do. And even thinking about that, they're your thoughts, right? Right? There's nothing else in your life that you won't control. Right. If it's your car, you're going to steer it. If it's your money, you're going to spend it. Why not your thoughts? Why not tell your own thoughts what to do? No, we ain't thinking that today. You know what I mean? We need a game plan. Like, let's be honest. You need a game plan to navigate life because there are going to be landmines all around you. If you haven't had children yet, what is the first thing people say? When are you and your husband going to have kids? What are y'all waiting for? And if you only have one child, when are you going to have more kids? When, you know what I mean? It's There's always landmines around you. And if you lost, oh, let me rephrase that. And if your baby is now with Jesus, right? If your baby is now in heaven and not with you at home, are you going to try again? Do you want to come to my baby shower? 
I want you to be the godmother, right? There are lame minds that are going to be all around us, but we have to prepare. It's just no different than somebody who goes on a trying to eat healthier. If they know that their weakness is junk food and, and lack of discipline, what do they do? They start meal prepping. They start packing everything with them to take to work. Why? Because they know I am not strong enough to navigate out there by myself yet. So as a woman who's who's anticipating the birth of her first child, who's um, being healed by a Lord and Savior, by a law, by a miscarriage, I want you to do yourself a favor and pack your bag, pack your scriptures, pack your anointing oil, pack your worship music, pack your praise, pack a bag, pack a spiritual bag so that you know what? Okay, I'm not feeling like this. Let me let me put my earbuds in. Um, I'm feeling some kind of way. Let me take a break and walk around this building. Let me go breathe. Let me recite this. You're going to have to pack a bag. And that's so good because we have to learn how to be proactive instead of reactive. A lot of us, we just react to what happens. But what would happen if we were actually proactive, if we had a plan before something ever happened? And your plan doesn't have to be perfect. And it also doesn't have to be fail-proof. It just means that I'm ready. That's it. That's it. And I think it also means that I'm not just going to take this lying down. I'm not just going to let it happen to me and just sit here. I'm going to do whatever it is that I can possibly do to, to, you know, not, you know, go down a rabbit hole of depression or whatever the case may be. Give yourself grace, like whatever place and space that you are in, give yourself grace. Don't force yourself to be anything but where you are in that very moment. Give yourself grace to heal. Give yourself grace to think. Give yourself grace to just be. Be kind to yourself. You know, don't beat yourself up. If you wouldn't say it to a friend, don't say it to yourself. And I know that's easier said than done, but look at yourself as your best friend. The only thing you would want for your best friend dealing with that is you would just want to go and be with her, even if it was in silence, right? You would just want to go and hold her hand. You would just want to go and find a way to crack a joke to make her smile. Do that for yourself. Well, Takesha, this was so good. Um, do you mind praying for the ladies real quick? Father God, in the name of Jesus, Father, we lift your name above every name. We just bow ourselves before you, God, and we say thank you. We thank you, Father, because you love us better than we can ever love ourselves. We thank you, God, because not one thing that's happening in our lives is catching you by surprise. And so it's catching us by surprise, God. Today, we rest in the fact of knowing that you have it all under control. Father, we just thank you and we just ask that you search our hearts, our yes, minds, God. and our souls. And Father, we just repent right now and ask that you forgive us for any sins, God, that we haven't confessed before you. And Father, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness. We receive it right now by faith. God, I ask right now for every woman that will listen to this broadcast who may be struggling in her mind, who may be struggling in her body, who may be feeling broken, who may be feeling lost, who may be feeling unheard and invisible. Father, help her to know that you see her. Just like it says in Zephaniah, God, I ask that you sing over her today. I ask God that you allow her to hear you so clearly that she can feel your heart beating. Father, I ask, oh God, for that woman who feels alone, that woman who feels like she can't even connect with her husband, that you send her a word, Father, that you send her word, not a promise of what's to come, because I'm sure she already knows what's to come, but a word that you are with her and that you will never leave her and that you will never forsake her, a word that she is loved and that she is seen and that she is the best thing that you've ever created on this earth. 
I ask God in the name of Jesus that you just begin to just minister to the women, God, minister to our husbands, Father, because sometimes we feel alone and we don't know how to connect with our husbands. But for every husband that may be listening to this broadcast with his wife, God, I ask now in the name of Jesus that you give him your shoulder to cry on. I ask God that you allow him to lay in your lap as you just hold him and let him know, son, I got you, that he doesn't have to walk around hard or feeling like he can't express himself, but God, that he can express himself with you and there will be no judgment only love and redemption i thank you right now for redeeming every woman redeeming every man i thank you right now in the name of jesus for joy i thank you right now in the name of jesus for laughter i thank you right now for celebration in the name of jesus and even now god i take authority over every woman and i say that even before you plant the seed in our wombs god we give them back to you we lay them at your feet god and we say you do as you will Yes. We will name them what you say to name them. We will call them what you say to call them. And God, I ask that you even give mothers um, prayers even now to begin to pray over their children even before they get here. I thank you right now, even for Jerry. God, I thank you for her. Yes. I thank you for allowing her to submit herself to your hand, God. I ask God that you will begin to give her wisdom, that you will begin to um, continue to give her revelation, that you will continue to give her knowledge. And I ask God that you put healing in her hands and and I ask God that you even put healing in her words, that as anybody listens to her podcast, God, that they will be healed because the words are coming directly from you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for all that you are. But most of all, God, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who was our savior. And we bless you in this moment. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, Takesha, can you tell the ladies how they can follow you on social media, get in touch, touch with you, get to know you, all that good stuff? Um, as Married in Color or One Dope Woman. Um, you can find me over there that way by on Facebook and Instagram. I think I have Twitter, but I don't know. Um, you can find me uh, over social media with that. Um, um, I also have an amazing group um, specifically for wives. It is called the Intentional Love Affair. It's a private group on Facebook that you can search for and you can find me there as well. I would love to connect with you. All right, Takesha, thank you so much for this. Um, this was super amazing. I'm glad the ladies got to experience you and to just know that there really is hope in life after miscarriage. Ladies, this concludes the second episode of the Journey to Motherhood podcast. Remember that there is life and hope after miscarriage, after infertility, really after anything devastating that you could ever experience. There is life on the other side of that. Until next week, I hope you all have an amazing week and weekend. I hope that whatever you're going through, however you're feeling, that you just give it over to God and allow him to heal you from it.